This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this first episode, I'm speaking to Brooks Headley, the chef and owner at the East Village's Superiority Burger, and author of the just-released Superiority Burger Cookbook. It's not really a secret that I'm a very big fan of Headley and Superiority Burger. I take first-timers there to initiate them into the beauty of eating Yuba in Tompkins Square Park, as rats scurry about. For two years in a row, I ate the eponymous veggie burger on Christmas Day. His first book, Fancy Desserts, subverted the entire cookbook concept. It was part memoir, part zine, and Steve Albini, who's produced records for the Pixies, Nirvana, and PJ Harvey, wrote the foreword. This wasn't a book for food people, it was a book for people, the ones for whom food is a massive and necessary aspect of living, but only one facet of culture, a piece of the puzzle. And the pictures weren't super lush and beautiful and aspirational, they were pretty fucking weird, and it was mind-blowing. The new book, written entirely in first-person plural to give credit to all the other folks he works with every day, is far more workmanlike. It gathers some of the most important recipes from the three years of Superiority Burger's existence, such as the burger itself, the tahini ranch romaine salad, the sloppy Dave, all the way through those amazing sorbets and gelatos. Whereas you might enjoy sitting on the couch with fancy desserts, this is a book you're going to stain up in the kitchen. We talked about both of his cookbooks, the writing process, and why an affordable vegetarian restaurant was his punk dream come true. So thank you, Brooks Headley of Superiority Burger, and congratulations on your new cookbook coming out in 22 days, I believe. Yeah. Very soon. Okay, cool. Um, So this is your second cookbook, and I recently actually interviewed a chef, a different chef, and this one came up, and he asked me who wrote it, and he was dubious that you did it yourself. So I wanted my first question to be confirming that you did indeed write your own cookbook. That I wrote either cookbook? Or just this one. That I, I was... (laughs) <laughs> I, I did. You did? Okay, <laughs> I, cool. Because apparently people out there don't think any chef actually writes their cookbook. Oh, yeah. No, uh, that's. Uh, I actually have an English degree, so right. finally I get to use it. So. <laughs> um, and yeah, you've done a lot of writing for Bon Appetit, um, so do you actually enjoy writing? Is that... Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, it's something that... Uh, but I, I, I don't think I could do it for a living, because... Being under like the the writing deadline on a regular basis, um, whenever I've done it, uh, columns for Bon Appetit or I wrote a thing for Cherry Bomb. I've done stuff in Lucky Peach. It's like a one-off thing, and then I don't have to do it for a while. Right. Um, if I had to do it constantly, I think I would. I would. It would I wouldn't be able to do it. So. <laughs> but what? luckily, I can make food in the in between. So. Right. 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 So, uh, what would you say are the main like? Cooking and writing, these are, obviously, as a food writer, we have to do both of these things, but uh, what's, like, the main difference between cooking and writing? Like, what, what are the differences in what they use? In terms of, like... Your mental... Parts of the brain? Parts of the brain. Um, well, for me, cooking of any kind is just kind of comes... 
it comes like second nature. Like, um, and that's why when I started cooking professionally, which I did kind of late for a, a cook, I didn't start cooking professionally until I was 27. Um, it just instantly became a thing that even things that I hadn't done before, I could do right away. Like but my first job, um, it was, uh, I was a like bottom of the line pastry cook at a fancy Italian restaurant. And, um, you know, the, the very first time I ever had to pipe a uh, pat of shoe out of a pastry bag, it's like I knew how to do it without ever having done it or seen it or even researched it before. So a lot of cooking stuff just, just comes, it just comes second nature to me. Um, and it's also incredibly fun and I never, ever, ever get sick of it ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've worked basically almost every single day for the almost three years at Superiority Burger. And even if it's a rough day or a rough night or it's busy or there's like a staffing problem or the dishwasher explodes or the health department is there, the next day when I wake up, I'm as excited as the very first day we're open every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to writing, which is more like I kind of, it's, it's, it's something I have to like really like sit down and think about and, and I'm not a very spontaneous writer either. Mm-hmm. So it's more tons and tons of time and revision. I mean, I guess that's true for everyone, but um, it's definitely, it hurts my brain a lot more than cooking. So <laughs> in, in a good way, for sure. Cool. Um, in one of those Bon Appetit pieces, you wrote about the horrors of finishing this cookbook that's about to come out. Um, how do you feel about the process now that it's over? Uh, I am extremely glad it's over. Um, <laughs> it's just any, like a, a cookbook is, a, is just a really big job. You've got you've to get the recipes compiled. You've got to get the head notes written, any essays that are going to be in it, and then like string it all together and have it then be laid out in such a way by someone who understands the design of the, of the aesthetic you're going for, you know. Um, and maybe not everyone involved with the project has the same commitment or understanding of what you want to do. Um, so it's, uh, it's, and it's, it's not, it, it's not, you're just, it's not your writing and then it's all yours. It's, mm-hmm. it's involves lots of other people, you know, so it's, um, it's fun at times and it's totally infuriating at times, but, uh. And if, if you had asked me this question two months ago, I would have said I will never, ever do another cookbook ever again. But as of right now, I have something like 90 more recipes that aren't in the Superiority Burger cookbook mm-hmm. that um, now I'm ready to do another one. So, And this one's not even out yet. So, Right. So what was the process of um, selecting the recipes? Like, what, was the, what were the ones that were definitely making it in? Um, the... The way the restaurant worked pretty much from day one was we had kind of like a core menu and then tons of different specials that changed around. And basically any special that we ran on any sort of regular basis, meaning like more than two times, would go in because mm-hmm. that meant it was something that we actually made and sold. You know, Sometimes we would do things that just didn't work. Um, and those didn't go in. And sometimes we did things that I just couldn't remember because it was, it was long ago and or we just forgot how to do it or whatever. So, um, right. But uh, some things are like 
some things in the book are things we still make today, some things we haven't made in a couple of years, so. Cool, and how was the process? Was there a lot of changes made from how you make them in the restaurant to how a home cook would make them? No, it's pretty no? much the same because we don't have any special equipment. Right. Um, tiny, it's, we have a very tiny kitchen. Um, we have a convection oven that I, that I inherited that I absolutely hate. Um, your home oven is probably better than our convection oven. Um, and other than like say like a Vita Prep blender, which are expensive but not totally out of reach for a home cook, we're not using anything that a moderately outfitted home kitchen would have. So cool. Um, so fancy desserts. Your last cookbook is way more elaborate, and this one is a little more functional, I would say. Or maybe you would disagree with me. Um, but how? What was the? Oh, fancy desserts is. Completely non-functional. Okay. Right? <laughs> so I actually never meant for anyone to make any of those recipes. Is so. that true or no? Absolutely. Okay. So, so then it was a completely different process from this cookbook. Can you kind of elaborate on the biggest ways it was different working on that one versus this one? Oh, sure. I mean, for that one, I um, that one was I had this idea of this kind of like manifesto, almost like memoir thing that I wanted to write. You mm -hmm. know, that was. The recipes were the absolute least important part of that. Mm -hmm. They were, in a way, they were just a, they were just a way for me to get the cookbook deal. But that was I didn't I don't want I didn't want people reading fancy desserts for the recipes. Um, whereas the superiority burger cookbook is only about the recipes to the point that we didn't even have any. There's no there's very little in the way of backstory of the place. Right. Um, it's just a document of what we made and how you can make it, and then maybe a, you know, a one-sentence or two-sentence headnote to describe the recipe or whatever. So it's sort of like as, as conventional as I, could, as I could get it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, whereas Fancy Desserts was supposed to be as unconventional as possible at all times. Okay. Know? Um, so the subtitle of the book is The Vegetarian Hamburger is Now Delicious. Um, do you believe that you made the first good veggie burger? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a huge fan of fake meat. Okay. I've always loved it. Like from the first time I tried it in, you know, in the like mid 80s. To now, like, you know, I've eaten my weight in Boca Burgers and Morningstar Farms, patties, fake sausages, um, like, uh, fake, fake chicken, like, all that stuff. At the same time, I always realized that most of that stuff was pretty processed and weird, mm -hmm. even though I loved it. Mm -hmm. And to this day, kind of still do love it. I lo maybe I love it all a little less now because... I opened up my dream restaurant where we don't do that, right. you know? That happens to be a vegetarian restaurant. So the, like, I, I, it's, it's weird. Like, uh, I, I love that stuff, but at the same time, like, it was the heavily processed aspect of it mm -hmm. or just tasteless part of it mm -hmm. where, you know, something I learned from working in fine dining restaurants was just, is, was seasoning food. Um, I learned tons and tons from Mark Ladner at Del mm -hmm. Posto and um, Johnny Monis in D.C. People that, like, you know, those weren't vegetarian restaurants at all, but 
kind of transferred that knowledge I got from those those people. Nancy Silverton in, right. um, in LA, you know, when we made sorbet bases in LA at Campanile when I worked there, there wasn't a recipe. It was, you basically had your, your base syrup and your fruit and you were seasoning it mm-hmm. to make it taste right because it's not always going to be, the fruit puree is not always going to have the same amount of sugar or whatever, so very different than any other place where I'd ever worked, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and the, you know, when we came up with a burger recipe and we're doing pops up, pop-ups and stuff, like, it wasn't supposed to be mimicking meat. Right. It was supposed to be its own kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, like, it's, it's, you know, it's the opposite of a Silicon Valley-made burger that bleeds, you right. know? Polar right. opposite, you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. it's also totally made, everything is made by hand. We don't even use a mixer. Like okay. every every single burger patty that we've ever made was mixed by hand. I mean, we use, we have like a big immersion blender to blend up some stuff. But other right. than that, it's, it's like pattied out by hand and flattened with a cheat tray and then par griddled to set the um, potato starch in it. So it, it binds it and then griddled again on the pickup, you know. So right. it's a really like handmade thing. Right. Um, have you had veg- other veggie burgers that you've enjoyed that are more in the handmade realm? Because it's not just like a Boca burger versus sure. uh, an Impossible burger. Right, but right. there's a lot kind of in the middle right now, I would oh, say. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, over the years, I mean, I have kind of like vegetable patties that I have like right. ingrained in my head is like that one was amazing. A lot of them are from maybe 20, 25 years ago. Oh, whatever. really? Like there was um, this amazing place in San Diego in the, in the early to mid nineties called fake burger, F A Q U E. Mm-hmm. And it was like a kind of like a dairy queen setup where you just, you ordered it a, in a kiosk and just ate it in your car in the parking lot. Right. And in my mind that was like the greatest, but, I'm not sure anymore right. what it was, if it was a handmade <laughs> version or it was like a, a like right. heavily processed, splatted through a million-dollar machine, right, denatured right. wheat protein, grow a field full, full of peas, and then turn the peas into flour and squirt them through a machine kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask, uh, the media, namely dudes who love meat, um, were really eager to like be praise your veggie burger, and um, do you think that that had to do with your fine dining background? And do you think that they would have been as open to it if you didn't have a James Beard Award and work at Del Posto, that kind of thing? Um, I don't know. I mean, we, I didn't. We didn't open up the place. Right. It wasn't. The intention wasn't to open up the place to like have everyone say, "Oh, this is the greatest veggie burger we've ever had." We just wanted yeah. to have like a. We just thought it would be fun to have a weird tiny little restaurant in the east village that sold you know vegetarian food so right 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 um so in your own life you obviously have a really long history with vegetarianism um what kind of drew you to that both as a lifestyle and a cuisine or are those things very separate oh uh punk rock yeah (laughs) 100 percent. you know when it's funny when you when i read like manifestos or whatever for the current crop of like the Silicon Valley veggie burgers or whatever, like all the information as, as in terms of like amount of water used and like, you know, benefit to the environment of not eating meat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, 
all of me and all my friends that are, I'm 45, so all of us of a certain age, we're always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, you know, we were reading those pamphlets at, at shows in like 1992 or whatever. So, right. you know, it's like, glad you guys caught up. <laughs> um, do you eat meat now? I have a very complicated relationship to food. Okay. Um, so I guess I could leave it, <laughs> leave it at that. Um, however, um, in terms of like what we cook at the restaurant, we don't use any eggs. Um, it's, we're ba it's basically a vegan restaurant right. that makes ice cream with mm -hmm. real milk, which sort of confuses people, even confuses me sometimes, yeah. because there are times when I'm like, well, why not just make everything vegan? And then there's like certain things like Labne or like, I've never been able to crack a code for a totally vegan gelato that right. is the same as the dairy ones I right. make. So, I mean, but there are other things like where we had a beet dish where we used, um, we got this Ben's cream cheese, which is like the best cream cheese you can get. But then we couldn't get it for a while. So we had a vegan version, which was a fermented cashew cream. And not being able to get the dairy version, we ended up kind of fine tuning that fermented cashew cream. So now that's all we use okay. and nobody can tell the difference. Um, and it's kind of fun that like, we're not even worried about necessarily like having a, an alternate version for that. At the same time, you know, cashews have their own issues. Like right. every, I mean, once you get down to like, it has to be vegan because of the animals, because of the planet, because of this, because of that, then it's like, well, do you drive a car? Do you live in New York City? Like, like yeah. you have to like kind of pick your battles on those things, you know, so. Totally. Uh, what do you think is holding you back from a vegan gelato? Um, milk protein right. acts in a certain way. And that's like, since 1999, that's, that had been my training is making, I mean, we have, we've come up with some pretty good ones, mm -hmm. but never one that was like really like enough to like, that I would abandon the dairy and the, and the ice cream. But we always have vegan options. Right. And like, you know, when we make cakes for special desserts, we always make them vegan. We, we don't make a cake, we would never make a cake with eggs. Partially because of space. We don't have space for two things and partially because of time because we have so much stuff going on in the day. But like we've got a, a pretty good cake method now where we can make almost any style of cake that's light and fluffy and is also vegan. So we think in, I, I like to consider Superiority Burger the most accommodating to vegans, non-vegan restaurant probably anywhere in the world because you either have a totally vegan restaurant or you have a vegetarian restaurant that only you can only get a couple things. Right. Or maybe you can get more than a couple things. I mean, you can get everything, basically, except the ice cream. But then we always have a vegan option that is, I want to say, just as good. So. Right. It was your dream restaurant to open a vegetarian restaurant. Um, where along the line did, did this vegan perspective kind of take hold? Um, I mean, you can't open a vegetarian restaurant without also kind of opening a vegan right. restaurant. But I was never like sort of beholden to like, I, will, I want to use butter as a tool. <laughs> I want to use certain things. I, we, I have to use eggs because I love eggs. Like I was, I'm sort of indifferent towards eggs. So when we, we used to use eggs to bind the burgers and then when we realized like we're gonna have to make a vegan patty and a vegetarian patty and if the only thing different is the egg, let's find something else out. So, cause we have a limited amount of refriger refrigeration space. Plus they look the same. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to serve the wrong food right. to someone that, when it looks exactly the same. So um, it's more like 
you, it's, it's, it, a lot of it's based on our spatial issues, especially when before, we have a little prep kitchen across the street now, but before we had that, we ha only had the actual restaurant, so mm -hmm. we could either be, which is why when we first opened up, we were only open from six to 10, um, because it would take us all day to get everything set, and also all our deliveries would go into the dining room, and there was no way we could be open Prepping food, make, as one of my old sous chefs used to say, taking the big food and making it small, <laughs> and also serving the food, you know. So people, and when we first opened, people would say, like, uh, you guys are ridiculous, you're just being contrarian, just opening up a veggie burger place that's only open for four hours, like, like what a bunch of jerks. Like, believe me, I, if it was up to me, I would be open 24 hours. Like, right. It's, it, it was just a matter of space, you know, so. Totally. Um, so not just in the title of your first book, but in the intro to the new word, new one, the word fancy comes up a lot. So I wanted to ask <laughs> what it means to you, the word fancy. It's just fancy, you know, yeah. you, you know, you know it when you see it, right? Yeah. It's just, like, it's so fancy. <laughs> I mean, I came from this like fine dining world for years right. where it was like, I can't tell you the amount of paper doilies that I've ripped apart like I never ever want to touch a doily ever again like the little chips fly everywhere yeah, like yeah. doilies and like shiny crystally things and you know um, I have a very I also have a very complicated relationship with fine dining because I learned so much working in places like that but it's so, they're such a bummer because normal people can't eat that food mm -hmm. and then the rich people that go to these places don't even care about the food. Right. And it's, it's such a weird thing, you know, which is I had, had it basically up to, up to here at that point when I was like, I, gotta, I, have, to cook for, I have to cook for everyone, you know? And right. I, that's what I love about superiority burgers. Like, you know, I go to the green market and I buy the same exact produce that all the fancy restaurants do. Um, same exact stuff. We're all there at the same time. I'm mm -hmm. a little bit later because I don't like to get up so early. <laughs> um, and then they sell it in the context of a... $100, $200 tasting menu, and we sell it in a little paper boat, you know? Right. Um, and I just, I totally get off on that. And that's just, and I, like a lot of people would, when we first opened, would think like, oh, so you're going to do this thing, this is your fast casual business, and then you're going to go and have a fancy restaurant again. And no, absolutely not. Like, I never, I never want to do anything other than this ever again. Like, I would just want to have a place or maybe have two. I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. that where maybe, maybe a, pl a place where more than six people can sit at right. once um, that sells, like, really kind of thought out, um, ambitious food for as cheap as I can possibly sell. It's, like, it's never really been about commerce, you know. I mean... It's a business. Right. It has to exist. It has to maintain itself. But I would rather take a loss and sell some good stuff than sell really expensive stuff. You know, so totally. Um, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is that um, with your ingredient suggestions, there's kind of a mindful mix of high and low brow ingredients. If that's not a false dichotomy. Um, so I wanted to ask you how you define quality, like what is a quality ingredient when it can come from a supermarket or a green market? Right. I know that it's, yeah, it's sort of like that's what we use and that's what I like. Right. Um, so yeah, there is like, there are certain things where, you know, when it comes to like a, like a finishing olive oil, I'll source the best 
most delicious one I can get that's sort of prohibitively expensive to use within a framework of a place that's selling five and six dollar salads. At the same time, like I will, there's certain things that I'm fine with using just regular old supermarket stuff for. I think that's, I mean, I think that's just like, there's no way I could use only expensive stuff. Right. But there's no way in my heart I could use only garbage too. Right. And then when I say garbage, I mean just like not the greatest stuff. So, so yeah, it's a mix, you know. It's a, a lot of people sometimes will say like, you know, cooking is about taking really crappy vegetables and through time and cooking, making them good. And I agree, but I also agree that making friends with the coolest farmers at the farmer's market, like Campo Rosso Farm, mm -hmm. and getting their, like people that really know about minerality and soil and, and growing things that are like the most beautiful things that sometimes you can get anywhere on the East Coast. And then take that and barely do anything to it and sell it. So it's, okay. a, it's a combination for sure, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned the kind of bleeding veggie burgers before. Um, so I wanted to ask just a more broad opinion on those and whether you've eaten any of them. I have. I've had, let's see, I think I've had one and one quarter total okay. over the course of about <laughs> maybe six because it's, all, it's always like someone has one and then we chop it up into eight pieces and taste it, you know, so. Have um, you learned anything or is... Have I learned anything? I think what I've learned is that, um, from those at least, is that this has nothing to do with anything that we're doing. Of course, yeah. It's completely different. Um, and that's fine, you know. I like to think of it like that. Is, I mean, to me, they... They taste the they taste the same as like a Boca burger. Yeah. Texturally, they figured out some weird stuff to make it kind of weird and stringy and fall aparty, like yeah. actual ground beef, but also not. So, um, I I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to them. I don't hate them. Mm -hmm. I, I would actually say like on with the right if like cooking of it and I'm putting it on a, the right bun with the right stuff, you know probably be great. Yeah. But in terms of like, like when they first started popping up, I would get like emails or texts from people like, 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 what are you, these guys are going to put you out of business? And I was like, no, they're not. This right. is, this is a totally, <laughs> it's a totally different thing. The thing that like, I guess is the most, like our veggie burger patty is, is recognizable as food. Right. You can like open, you can smash it and open it up and oh, like, oh, that's a carrot. That's a piece of quinoa. That's a half chunk of barley. That's that's an onion. You know, mm -hmm. that's oh, that's a sliver of parsley. Like, it's not, you know, highly processed wheat and coconut oil, right? Or isolated pea protein, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, so now that you've got the book out, and you might be doing another one, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> no one will ever let me do one. <laughs> Um, how do you kind of stay so inspired to do so many new things every day at Superiority Burger? Um, it, well, like I said, when we started out, like the initial plan was we were going to have this whiteboard with right. six things. And the gelato was always going to be Labneh because the, the version we used to make was really easy and I wouldn't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then we would switch the sorbet around. So the only thing I ever planned on changing ever was the sorbet. Everything else was just going to stay the same. 
because that would be cool. Have a little tiny restaurant that that's what you sell. Um, but immediately got bored and we did a special on the first day. And then that turned into a thing where what we can do is we can, I can get whatever at the green market or not at the green market, order it off the Baldor truck or whatever in the winter because there's nothing grows here in the winter, so you can't get everything from the market. You get some stuff, but to keep it interesting for the staff and also interesting for me and also interesting for the people that come to the restaurant all the time because like because it's not the specials aren't a set thing if i get only enough asparagus to run 20 specials i can run that and right. then when they're gone they're gone i take it off the board mm -hmm. um as opposed to a traditional restaurant where there's a set menu where and this is one of the things in fine dining that always bugged me is like you have this has to be on the menu for a certain period of time so nature doesn't work the same way. So when the asparagus runs out that was really good, which is why you put it on the menu in the first place, then you start buying asparagus that's not as good, and you know it's not as good, mm -hmm. but it's still on the menu, so you have to do it that way. And, it's, and that, just seems like you're, that just seems like you're cheating the people that are buying it. Although in a fancy restaurant, who cares? They're all rich people, so <laughs> they, can, they don't care any they don't care anyway either. So. Um, but we also, one of my um, business partners lives around the corner mm -hmm. from the restaurant. And um, he travels a lot, but when he's in town, he eats at Superiority Burger every day with mm -hmm. his girlfriend. So the gauge that I have is if Matt can come in if, and get something new, then we're... It doesn't have to be totally new, right? because he comes every day. I, I, we obviously <laughs> can't have something brand new, composed thing every single day. But if he can come in almost every day and get a thing that he hasn't had before, then we're like kind of on track. And it's, it's, just, it's sort of screwed me at points because, say for the gelato and sorbet, um, once I figured out I wanted to change it every day, whoever um, I train to start doing the gelato and sorbet, and we've had like three or four people since the beginning, um, I'll say like the first thing, I'm like, okay, so we're gonna change it every day. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, all right, cool. <laughs> And then, because it, like, it, it's a very collaborative environment, um, especially for the ice cream, like, that's my thing, but like, once I get somebody up, up to speed, they can do whatever they want, as long as it makes sense with the restaurant and isn't too weird or isn't too not weird, you know? Right. Um, and is always delicious and texturally perfect or whatever. But a lot of times, like, someone will make something, and I'll be like, that's amazing. I was like, let's make that again. And, and usually the person is like, eh, let's, uh, let's, give it, let's give it a little bit, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, so it just keeps it's like this we have a little tiny kitchen with tons of people packed into it um, but constantly doing new stuff it makes it it makes it more interesting for everyone involved you know so um, so where do you like to eat when you're not at your restaurant oh my god I I, I never go really <laughs> I almost never go anywhere else okay um, just because I'm always at the restaurant right. um and or at my apartment, but I've, I've in my I've never once cooked in my apartment ever. Um, I lived in my last apartment for seven years, and my current place I've been for a year. And um, the two places combined, I've I've heated up a tortilla on one of the burners <laughs> once, but that was the extent of any cooking okay. I'd, I'd done at home in in the past eight years or whatever. So part of that's because it's teeny apartments with, right. but also because. All of the rest of the day and night. Yeah. 
um, cooking or like involved in like a cooking situation or whatever. Um, I mean, there's tons of amazing places all over. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, someday I'll get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this is my last question. And I think this will be my last question forever because I asked a chef this yesterday and I liked what they said. But, um, and it's a very basic question. Um, is cooking for you a political act? I mean, of course. It's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Superiority Burger is a vegetarian restaurant. But in the scheme of reasons why it exists, mm -hmm. the low priced, the, the low priced quality of it, um, that's probably, that's the terrible way to phrase it, but the cheapness of it, inexpensiveness of it. Yes to me is more, more important than the vegetarian part. Mm -hmm. um, while the vegetarian part is also crucial, like, that's the reason. Like, I was in this fine dining world for so long where, where it just seemed, just everything about it seemed unjust and, and, and just, you know, normal people can't eat food, that food, and a lot of that food is so beautiful and, and like through the cooking process or the time or whatever, but if, if a normal person can't buy one, a, a chunk of it for 10 bucks or something, then that sucks. That's like, that's, that's the worst, you know? So, yeah, our restaurant for sure is, the, the, its existence, what we serve, and how we serve it is of course a political act, so.